morning. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Feeding the homeless this Wednesday. If you want to go. Uh, this Thursday is the women's Bible study. This Thursday, the nineteenth. Hopefully, you guys finish up the book, and then we'll start the new one. No. We have. Well, we can do two chapters, and then we have three left to go. Oh, I get you. Because in the last one, two times in a row, we had weather, and then some, I don't remember. So it's just the dates. Yeah. Okay. So we have three chapters to go, but I sent a text out this morning how we can wrap up. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. But yes. Well, the men are going to start the 1st of February in this book, so you just might be a little behind us. Okay. Okay. Next men's Bible study is February 4th. We'll start the book Radical Prayer. And then the women will follow behind. Mm-hmm. As soon as you finish your book. She knows it's church. Next youth night is February 9th. Sign up for email updates or check out the calendar online at thechurchne.org. With that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for all the ways you lead and guide us, all the ways that you provide for us. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to understand and hear your word hear your direction for our lives, that you would lead us and guide us through this study, that your words would be spoken here today, not mine, that you would watch over this fellowship, that you would protect it, that you would draw each one of us closer to you, that you would protect us from the enemy, keep us safe physically, but also keep us safe spiritually. Don't let the enemy lie to us or deceive us, that you would meet each person right where they're at. You know what each one of us is going through. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Lead us and guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go back to Romans. We'll be in Romans 15 today, since we finished 14 last time we went through Romans. But we're going to start in Romans 14, verse 20. Just a little recap at the end. Because the first part of 15, he calls us back to this. So just as a reminder. Where we left off, what Paul was talking about. So Romans chapter 14, verse 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, But keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. So don't tear apart the work of God over our actions. Right? Don't be a distraction to others. 
Don't stumble others by what we eat or what we drink or anything else. Don't be a bad witness, right? We're all a witness as Christians. We're all a witness to Jesus, but we're either a good witness or we're a bad witness. And that even though we have the freedom to do these things, we have the freedom to eat these foods. In these days, in, in Paul's day, this was a big deal for eating meat that was offered to idols. The idol had no power. We went over that. The meat was just regular meat, but it caused us, it was a stumbling block for some people. So Paul was encouraging the other believers not to eat meat if you're around someone that is sensitive to this, that bothers them. He also brings up here not to drink wine. Not to drink wine if you're around someone that's going to be stumbled by this. That's going to affect their faith in who Jesus is. It's better not to do it. It's better to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. So continuing on, Romans fourteen twenty three. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something... You are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So if you do anything that you believe is not right, if God's put on your heart that you shouldn't do whatever it is, then you go ahead and do it, you are sinning. I like the way that the New King James Version puts this last verse, Romans 14, 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So that last sentence there, whatever is not from faith is sin. And again, God's painting this very clear picture, this very black and white picture, that we're either for God or we're against God, that our actions are either in line with God's will, or they're not. And if they're not, they're in sin. That there is no neutral ground. I'm just a good person. I'm doing the best I can. That's not the way that God is explaining it to us, right? We're either for God or we're against him. We're either with him or we're his enemy. There is no neutral ground. No, I'm a good person. No, oh, it's not that big a deal. Everyone else is doing it. It's okay. God's not really going to be upset by this. This isn't really sin. Yes, it is sin. It's either from faith or it's from sin. There's one or the other. There's no middle ground, no neutral ground, no gray areas, which I like. I'm very black and white, right? (laughs) So, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are in sin. So that is where we left off in Romans 14. So now we can pick up in Romans 15. So Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. See, the very first sentence is why we had to do a little recap. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. So we're going to take 
a few side trails to get through these few verses here. But we must not live to just please ourselves. That's a commandment. We must live the example that Jesus gave us. Jesus did not live to please himself. We should live to help others, to do what is right. We are to lead by example, right? Other people are watching what we do or what we say and how we act. And we are to lead um, godly lives, lead lives that reflect who Jesus is in our life at all times. And when we fall short, when we fail, when we lose our temper, we are to ask for forgiveness, right? Be quick to ask for forgiveness. So remember, we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. That's the example he set for us, and that's the example we're to set for others. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. We're going to, going to be kind of bouncing in a few different verses, but they'll all be up on the screen. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, this is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he's arrested, he's praying. And what is he praying? So verse 39, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So if it was Jesus' desires, it was his desire that I don't want to go through this cup of suffering. And if there's any other way, God, please take this cup from me. Right? But still, he denied himself. He didn't live for himself. He didn't live to do what pleased him. He lived to do what pleased his father. Right? Not my will be done, but your will, God. And that's the example that he gives us. That's the example that we're to go out and live. Not my will, God, but your will. Not my will for my life, where I work, where I live, what I do, who I um, am connected with, but your will. Open the doors you want me to walk through, God. Close the ones that you don't, right? And here he's also asking, is there any other way? Is there any other way that all these people can be saved? And the answer was no. Is there any other way? Can they be saved by their good works? Can they work their way into heaven, into eternal life? No. Can they give? Can they buy their way into eternal life? And the answer was no. What about their parents? If their parents were involved in the church, does that get them in? And the answer was no. There is no other way except through Jesus. And we read that in John chapter 14, verse 6. So John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, he's speaking to his disciples here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what's the way to eternal life? What's the way to forgiveness for sins? Can we work our way there? Can we buy our way there? Can our family prestige get us in there? No. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to eternal life, to forgiveness for sins, the only way to God is through his son Jesus, through our belief in him. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus explains this again. He explains this to Martha. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me 
will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? He asked. So, that's important. We've been over this a few times. We'll go over it again. Here, John chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who lives in me, he said, and believes in me. What does that mean? We've gone through this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That our faith, our salvation is a two-part thing. We believe in our minds. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, came down to this earth, died for our sins. Because of that, we can be forgiven. He died, was rose again, ascended into heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God. When we believe that in our minds, and when our lives reflect that, we believe that in our hearts, and our, we live a life different from the life we used to live, we are saved. And here we see that again in John chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who lives in me, the life we live, and believes in me, will never die, Jesus said. Right? So it's a two-part, our salvation is a two-part thing. Believing in our minds, who God is, and believing in our hearts, living a changed life. Right? And if we don't live a changed life, if, if we live a life that's no different from the life we've always lived, then we need to question, are we really saved? Have I made any changes in my life? Do I live differently now than I did as an unbeliever? And if the answer is no, then you need to question, is that, am I living in Christ? Am I living in Jesus? Am I living a life different? Am I saved? Right? Believing in our minds and then believing in our hearts by a changed life. So we see that a few times throughout the Bible. And it's important. So the only way to salvation, the only way to the Father, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. By believing in Jesus, believing he is the Son of God. That is the only way. So that kind of gets us through a few of the verses here, Romans 15. We kind of started with verses 1 through 3. But verse 3 ends, and he's quoting a psalm. Paul is quoting a psalm here. And we're going to look at Psalm 69, verse 9. So Psalm 69 is written by David. Um, and it, as this particular verse, I think, has two meanings. A meaning to David particularly in his life at that time. This is also a prophetic meaning. That David is, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing down what God's told him to write. And that this also has a meaning leading towards, as Paul is pointing out, that a foretelling or a prophecy of Jesus coming to this earth and dying for our sins. So Psalm 69, verse 9. Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So another way that we look at this is in the New King James Version. And I like the way that they put it for a couple reasons, and I'll explain that. But Romans 15, verse 3 in the New King James Version. For even Christ did not please himself. We went over that. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So another way to define reproaches, or what does that mean? Disgrace, dishonor, discredit. In the New Living Translation, we read that it was insults. The insults of those who insult you 
and I think insults is all right, but I think disgrace, dishonor, discredit takes it a little bit further. It's more than insults. It's meant to be deep wounds. And what David is saying is, is that when we choose to be believers in Jesus, there's people that are going to come against us. There's people that are going to insult us, talk bad about us because of our Christian faith. And that's what David was going through at the time. But also this has a deeper meaning, a prophetic meaning pointing to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. But here, the New King James does a great job of of explaining that. The reproaches of those who reproached you, God, Father in heaven, fell on me. You can see how me is capitalized, speaking of Jesus. And you think of his life here on earth, all the insults, all the things that people talk bad about God and, and discredit him, dishonor him, disgrace him, all those insults fell on Jesus. And they fell on Jesus at the cross. They fell on Jesus when he died. All that hatred, all that malice, all that mean, evil, awful things that this world has towards God fell on Jesus. And it fell on him at the cross. And he willingly went there. No one forced him. He gave his life up freely, he said, of his own free will, because he loved us that much. And so here, Paul is reminding us that Jesus didn't live for himself. He lived to do the will of his Father. And the will of his Father is that he would sacrifice himself for our sins. Because of his work on the cross, we can be set free. And we've been over this, that when we've been forgiven for our sins, God removes them from our record. He doesn't hold them over our head. There is no, I'm a sinner, I'm a bad person, I can never be forgiven for this. God is willing to forgive for everything that we do. And he's willing to remove it from our record. And we're to believe that and we're to live in that. We're not to go through this life moping about, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm just a, a no good, lowly sinner. And whatever I'm suffering right now is well-deserved because I'm a, such an awful sinner. No, no, you were a sinner. And you've been forgiven for your sins and it's been removed from your record. And while you may still sin at times, you are forgiven. You are set free. You are a new creation. Don't hold on to the old life. Don't hold on to the who you used to be, the sinful life. Accept the new life that God has given you. Accept the love, the mercy, and the grace that he offers. And live that new creation. Don't mope about with your head down. Hold your head high. Be very thankful for the work that Jesus has done on the cross and accept it. Accept God and all of his promises. We're going to get a little bit deeper into that. We're going to continue on with Romans chapter 15, verse 4 here. So Romans 15, verse 4, we're going to look at it in both the New Living Translation in the New King James Version, there's some different wordings, not necessarily different meanings, but different wordings that, that are used here that I think are important. So Romans chapter 15, verse 4 in the New Living Translation, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So now when I read that in the New King James Version, it uses a little bit different words. In the 
The biggest difference is instead of encouragement, it uses the word comfort. And we're going to go on to explain that a little bit. But So Romans 15 verse 4 in the New King James, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are given to us, and it's given to us to teach us how to live our lives. We've been over this, the acronym for the Bible, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I love that. That's what God has given us. He's given us the basic instructions before we leave our lives here on earth. How to have a relationship with Him. How to live our lives loving and honoring Him. What is right in our lives? What is wrong in our lives? That's what He has given us his words for, to teach us who he is. And that the Bible is meant to give us hope. And what is hope? Hope is a guarantee. It's a guarantee that God's promises will be fulfilled. And there's many promises throughout the Bible that we get to hold on to, that we get to say, God, your word says this, and I believe you at your word. I don't believe the lies of the enemy. I don't believe the deception that's in front of me. I, see, I want to see past that. I want to see with an eternal view that you are who you say you are, that your guarantees will come to pass, that all of your promises will be fulfilled, and that I trust and believe that. I believe in you, God. And that the Bible is given to help teach us patience. I think that's a big thing. God is really trying to teach each one of us patience. And that is a difficult lesson for us all to learn. I don't think there's anyone on this earth that doesn't struggle with patience, right? And over and over and over again, God, over and over and over again, God is teaching us patience. He's teaching us to be patient, to wait on Him, to trust in Him, to rely in Him. That everything we have, our confidence, our um, strength, our endurance, any qualities that we have, all come from Him. And we learn that all throughout the Bible. That's why He's given us His Word. And the reason that we're looking at the New King James is this word comfort. that The comfort of the scriptures. The comfort of the Bible. And I think that's important. There's some other verses in the Bible that talk about God and comfort. And I think that's important, especially in the times that we're in now. That God's word, the Bible, is meant to bring us comfort. As many other things that we've talked about that it's meant to do, it's also meant to bring us comfort. So, but God's word can't bring us comfort. It can't encourage us. It can't teach us. It can't do any of those things if we're not willing to read it. So this being a new year, everyone has New Year's resolutions, but I would like to encourage and challenge each one of you to pick up God's Word each and every day. Get into His Bible every single day. Allow all these promises to be into your life. Understand them, read them, know what God is saying. You'll be amazed at the situations you go through, your daily situations, things that are happening in your life, that God doesn't meet you right where you're at when you pick up His Word each day and read it. That He doesn't speak to you through His Word of what's going to happen in your day or what happened yesterday to encourage you, to strengthen you, to guide you, to comfort you. In this life that we live, there are many troubles, many challenges in life. And God's word, 
brings us comfort. I think that's important. And that's why we're looking at the New King James, the, the comfort that the scriptures bring, the comfort that the Bible brings. But the only way it can bring us this comfort is if we're willing to get into it, if we're willing to read it and watch God provide that comfort for us with the troubling situations in our life through his word. And we all read um, throughout the Bible that he speaks to us daily through his word. Okay, It's daily food for us. Just like we need breakfast every morning, lunch, dinner, we need his word every day in our lives. So I want to encourage each and every one of you to read the Bible every single day. Whether that's one verse or one chapter or three chapters, whatever God puts on your heart, do what he's asked you to do. And remember, who is God's word? We've been over this. Jesus. John chapter 1, the word. And the word there is speaking of Jesus. He is the one and only son of God. Jesus is the word. He is the truth. He is the life. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this is probably an area we should all have highlighted in our Bibles. So this is important. This is why is the Bible so important for us to get into all the promises that we read about, the comfort that he promises, the leading, the guiding, the teaching us what is right in our lives, what is wrong in our lives, what needs corrected, how to ask for forgiveness, all of that is here. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting here in verse 16, makes that very clear. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So all scripture is inspired, or another way it's written is all scripture is God-breathed. While men may have wrote it down, God inspired them, guided them on what to write down. That We can trust that the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is God's word to us. God inspired, God breathed. To teach us what is true, to bring us to realize what is wrong in our lives, to correct us, to teach us the right way to handle difficult situations, to prepare us, to equip us to do every good work, is what we're told here. And this word all in verse 16, some people take it as each individual verse. Remember, we've been over this. I can take you to where the Bible says there is no God. Well, that, if I taught that all in itself, that would be wrong. But when I use the whole Bible, it says a fool in his heart says there is no God, right? So instead of just taking one area of scripture and making a doctrine out of it or making a, a governing statement of this is how God is telling us to live our lives, I should be looking at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Where else does it say that in the Bible? How do I come to these conclusions and I need to look at the Bible as a whole. So all scripture, the whole Bible, that word all in the Greek is translated the whole or whole. So the whole Bible, 
from Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by God and is meant to do all these different things. So, the importance of God's word. I hope that we each understand that, how important it is, and the promises that he gives us when we get into his word each and every day. And it's not a legalistic thing, oh, I read my Bible, I should have a good day today. No, 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 there's no necessarily connection there. We can read our Bible, we can be in his word, we can be in fellowship with him, we can be singing praise songs to him and still have bad days. And it's not a connection, I did this for God. It's not a transactional relationship, right? I didn't put this in and I get paid this. I didn't punch my time clock in today and I get my eight hours and this is my paycheck at the end. That's not how it works with God. It's I get to learn more about him. I have the opportunity to spend time with him. And that way, when I go through troubled times, when I have bad days, I know where to turn. I know where my strength is. I know where my encouragement is. I know where my comfort is. It's in God and it's in his word. He explains it all to me throughout there. So we'll continue on here. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. And again, there's a few different words here. So we'll look at this verse also in the New Living Translation in the New King James Version. So may God, here Romans 15, verse 5 in the New Living Translation. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. The New King James Version says it this way, Romans 15, verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus. So again, one translation uses the word encouragement, the other one uses the word comfort. You can see where they have similar qualities, but I think it's important to understand that the God we serve is the God of comfort. And that when we go through troubling situations, when there's hard things that have happened in life that we have trouble explaining, that we can find comfort in God's word, that he's going to lead us and guide us through all those situations. The word of God doesn't skirt around anything. It addresses every situation you could possibly go through head on. And that there's nothing that God is afraid to talk about or doesn't want to bring up. That God's willing to address it all head on and he's willing to lead us and guide us through it all. So, again, we read that the, we serve this, this God, the God of patience and comfort. So, we are called to live in harmony with other believers, right? We're to be like-minded with other believers, other believers in Jesus Christ. This is... There is one church, Jesus is the head of the church, and all other believers are, are in that church. That's the church we're speaking of. So we're speaking of Christian churches here, and you think, especially in the United States, there's so many different denominations, so many divisions, and this is the way to worship Jesus, this is the right way, this is the right way to interpret the Bible. No, this way is so much division, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to live in harmony with each other, with other believers, right? We're to put aside these minor theological differences and to focus on Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He's all that matters. Everything else is irrelevant. Everything else is a minor. That when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully human, fully God, came down to this earth, lived and died for our sins, rose again 
that that's what we're to focus on. That's the majors. The majors is the salvation issues. How are we saved? We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And that that's all that should matter. So all these other differences were to put aside, were to live in harmony with each other, pointing others to Jesus. The whole church, every Christian church falls under this category. Now this isn't a one world religion. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not the Pope's idea of a Catholic, Buddhist, Hindu, every other religion coming together. That's not what this is about. This is Jesus' church, every Christian church, every church that believes Jesus is God. That's who we're talking about here. So, the God of patience, and I'm thankful that he is patient, that he was patient with me, that he didn't write me off when I was neck deep, eyeballs deep in sin, that he didn't just wipe me out as he very well could have, as he could have written me off. But he is the God of patience, and I'm very thankful for that. He is also the God of comfort. And for a little bit deeper understanding of that, I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. You don't have to go there. We're going to be coming right back to Romans, but it probably is a, a good place to know where to go. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. All praises to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. So I'll read that again. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. All praises to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. So we read here that God is the source of all comfort. So all comfort we can find in this world and anything comes from God, is of God. And if it's not of God, it's not true comfort. It's a facade, it's a, a lie, it's a deception of the enemy. So all comfort comes from God. God is able to comfort us in the midst of our pain, and God loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die in our place. That God is a merciful father, that he's a very loving father. So when the Bible is talking about the God of comfort, he is not just the God of comfort, he's the source of all comfort, the Bible says. And that's important. Then when we're looking to be comforted, the first place we should go is not to our spouse, not to our children, not to anyone else. The first place we should go when we're looking to be comforted is to God, right? That we can ask him to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us in the situations that we're in in our life. So we'll go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 6. Then... All of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. So we're, again, told to join together with other believers to put aside differences, to accept each other just as Christ has accepted us, that Christ didn't come to be served, but came as a servant. He gave us this example. And that we're to be one body under him. He leads us. We looked at this here last week. I want to look at it again. Colossians chapter 3, 
We'll look at verse 14 through 17. So above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So when we want to live in harmony with other believers, we're to love them. We're to love our neighbors, whether that's believers or unbelievers. We're to love our enemies. If we want to be bound together, we're to love. That binds us all together in perfect harmony when we love others. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. So remember, the peace that comes from Jesus is not like the peace of the world, this absence of conflict, but Jesus gives us peace while going through the conflict, right? He comforts us. He grants us peace, not um, a worldly peace, but a peace that only he can bring. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We should be thanking God for everything he does for us. All the ways he leads us and guides us, provides for us, loves us, cares for us, comforts us. Always be thankful to God for what he's done in your life, right? Point to him first above all else. Let this message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So we're to, to let this message about Jesus, let the gospel message and all of its riches fill our lives. We're to teach and counsel each other the work that Jesus is doing in our lives, the, work that, the, the words that he speaks here in, in the Bible. The wisdom that he gives us, we're to encourage others with, and we're to sing. We're to sing and worship our God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So we are all a representative of Jesus. We are all a witness. And we're to do it and be a good witness. We're to point others to him by our lives. We're to lead by example. When we fall short, not if, but when, we should be quick to ask for forgiveness from those we've sinned against. Ask for forgiveness from God for sinning against him. And remember, love everyone around us. Love binds us all together and hate tears us apart, right? We're not to live that way. We're to live loving others. As Christians, we represent Jesus. So we'll go back to Romans Chapter 15, verse 9. So Romans chapter 15, verse 9. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice, with his people, you Gentiles. So remember, there were the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people that he had set aside. But even though he chose them, they didn't all choose him. They didn't all receive Jesus. They, some chose to reject Jesus. And the rest of the people, the people who aren't the Jews, are the Gentiles. So all of us here in this room are Gentiles, right? And Paul is reminding us that Jesus came that we would come to know God, that our eyes would be open to him, and that we can receive him and all the promises that he has for us. 
There are specific promises that he speaks about just for the Jews, and there's others that he speaks about for all of us, for all of his believers, right? So we had Jews and Gentiles in Paul's times. There were two groups of people that God saw, and now there's still two groups of people in our day. We have believers and unbelievers, right? The sheep and the goats. So we continue on here in verse 11. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir of David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. So we as Gentiles are placing our hope on Jesus. In Jesus, it all points to Jesus. The whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus, points to our need for him. And here, Paul is making it very specific to us, not being Jews, but being Gentiles, that he came to save us, that we are to praise the Lord for all he has done. All the people of the earth should praise the Lord, who has the opportunity to accept Jesus, to receive him into their hearts, every single person on this earth. There's no person that Jesus didn't die for, that Jesus didn't come to save. All the earth he came for. And that he came to rule over us and that we should accept that rule, accept that work that he's doing in our lives, accept who he is, who he claims to be, fully God, fully human, came down to pay the penalty for our sins. So we'll continue on here in Romans 15 verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we read that God is the source of comfort. And now we see that God is the source of hope. And remember that God's hope is not this 50-50 chance oh, i hope i win the lottery no no god's hope is a guarantee the hope that we have in god is a guarantee that all of his promises will come to pass that he'll never leave us he'll never abandon us that he's always with us that he loves us that he forgives us that he removes our sins from our record that he doesn't hold it over our heads that he's not up there angrily waiting to strike us down waiting us for us to screw up so that he can bring pain or destruction in our lives. The enemy wants to kill, destroy, and deceive. The enemy wants to distract us and lead us away from God. But we can choose to believe the deceptions of the enemy, or we can choose to believe all the promises that we read about here, all the things that God promises to do for us, that he will comfort us, that he is the source of all comfort, that he is the source of hope, and that his hope is a guarantee, a guaranteed promise that everything he says he will do, that everything he promises will come to pass. That when he says, you as a believer, I will work all things for good, even the things that aren't good in our lives, that when we believe that, we're putting our faith and trust in him. We're not believing what's in front of us. We're not believing the deceptions of the enemy, this bad situation. We're not allowing that to guide our lives Emotionally, we can be up and down depending on what someone says. Somebody can say something to me and it it can affect me. I can have a good day and and one word, one sentence can bring me right down. 
can cause me to doubt, cause me to fear. And someone can encourage me and, and bring me right back out of that. I can be up and down all day, right? But that's not what God is saying. God is saying, don't look at the, what's in front of you. Don't look at what someone else has done. Trust in me. I'm the source of comfort, the source of hope. Believe my promises that everything I say will come to pass, right? Don't be led by our emotions. Sometimes our emotions can lead us astray. Our feelings can lead us astray. While our feelings are real, our feelings are not always in line with God. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone that we find our comfort, our hope, the source of all of our strength. And that's where we end today. Do you have any questions? No questions today? Are you feeling okay? Really? What about you, Kylie? You were writing stuff down. No questions today? No comments? Well, I guess I have a comment. Okay. No, I think other people still bring it up. And we probably bring it up more than anything. We think of our own sins, our own faults, our own failures. Even though God never thinks of it. Doesn't bring it up again. We've asked for forgiveness. He's removed it from our record. But we can still live in that. Oh, but this is who I am. And that's a lie. It's from the enemy. It's meant to distract us and lead us away from God. Because God's promised us, I'm going to remove it from your record, right? And my faith, do I believe believing is faith right faith is believing do I believe God when he says he removes it from our record or am I going to believe the enemy that says no this is who you are you're this awful sinner that's done all these awful things right and when I live this way when I live as this awful sinner I'm probably not going to be very joyful and I'm probably not going to be a very good light and witness to Jesus right because I've over here in the deception of the enemy so so it's one of those promises that God gives us, and it's our faith, our belief to believe him or to believe the lies of the enemy. And there's only two options. There's no neutral ground, right? Mm-hmm. I can't say that enough. There's no neutral ground with God. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. We're for God. We're against him. We believe in faith we learned today, or we're living in sin. So when we just choose to believe the deceptions of the enemy, that I'm just a no-good sinner, you know, I always will be all the awful things I've done. We're living in sin then because we're not believing in faith that God removed it from our record, that he never brings it up again. And while other people may bring it up again, and that was one of the things David was struggling with, was that especially unbelievers are going to have a harder time with this. They're going to 
constantly bring up our faults and our failures and the things that we did wrong. And even unbelievers, well, anyone, even our enemies are going to bring up, are going to bring up accusations against us or something to that effect that aren't true. And what does God tell us to do then? We're just to be patient and kind and loving. We don't need to go defend ourselves. More and more, especially just going through Christmas, I think of Mary and Mary and Joseph, who were obviously pregnant and not married, and all the rumors and things that people would have said about them. But did it matter? No. People are going to say what they're going to say. Did God know what the truth was? Yes. God directed them to do exactly what they were doing. They were perfectly in God's will, right? But nobody else knew that. And was it be any good for them to defend themselves? No, people probably wouldn't believe it. Exactly. And does it matter? No, God knows the truth. Isn't that all that matters? Is that we live to please him and not please other people? Which is a tough lesson to learn. And what happens when we do that? We lose our witness. We're not being a witness. We're not being the light and witness to Jesus. So now when I say to my friends, if that were to happen, I just say, okay. Just let it go, huh? Because God knows the truth, and that's all that matters. Yes. Well, good observation. Good comment. I think the other thing, too, is that Christians... You know, we're told to live in harmony with other Christians. But there are churches out there that, that don't emphasize enough how much Jesus loved us, how much God loved us, and that he loves us, he's for us, he's not against us. And that we think that God is up there angrily waiting to strike us down, even as some Christian churches will lead people into that belief. And it's just not true. God loves us. He's not, for, he's not against us. He's for us. And that, He's not angry with us. He's not waiting to strike us down, waiting for us to screw up. Because if that was the case, he would have wiped us out when we were neck deep in sin, eyeballs deep in sin. So So God loves you, each and every one of you in this room. And I can't emphasize enough, spend time in his word every single day. Make it a priority. Minimum, at least one verse every day, if not more. Every single day. What about a devotion? That's great. Devotions are great. As long as that devotion is leading you to the Bible, right? To God's Word. And the only thing I would say is just don't get caught up where you have to use other people's thoughts. Don't be afraid to go to God's Word. Just that alone, right? Devotions are great. They lead us to God. They lead us to the Bible. We don't have to have devotions. We can just read the Bible ourselves. God will speak to us right where we're at. Yes. Um, There's one devotion that I had. It was talking something about, I don't know. But I felt like that was wrong. I felt like like it wasn't right. Well, you you should show me that devotion. And that is the danger with going through people's opinions. People's opinions of God might not necessarily be right. So let God speak to you himself through his word, too. That's always good, too. Yes. And devotions are good. 
Make sure you understand who's writing the devotion. What do they believe in? The one that I'm doing right now looks like Lauren. Yeah. It just looks so cool. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Well, let's pray. We'll sing one more song. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together, to focus on you, to be encouraged by you, to be comforted by you, to have a hope that can only come from you. I guarantee that your word, your promises, your leading, your guiding, everything you say you'll do, you will do. And that we just need the faith and the strength and the endurance to believe you at your word, to trust in you. Please strengthen each one of our faith today. Draw each one of us closer to you. Lead us and guide us down the road that you want us to go through. Open the doors you want us to walk through and close the ones that you don't. We want your will to be done in our lives. We want you to fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you to bring healing and guidance from doctors for many different people. For, for my mom, for Kathy, for Susan, for Christina, for Bonnie. Lord, I ask you to bring healing to Matt and Joey's knees, that you would bring patience, peace, wisdom, forgiveness to the Coffee family, that you would lead them and guide them, that you would use this time to glorify yourself, to point this family towards you, Jesus. Lord, I ask you to watch over all those that are going through the PTSD EMDR counseling, that you would give them the strength to endure through the whole counseling. I ask that you would just watch over each person who's been affected by some kind of act of violence in in this world, that you would bring comfort to them, that you would meet them right where they're at, that you would bring strength and guidance for Ming, that you would speak to us this week through your word, that you would encourage us to get into your word, that we would um, be encouraged by your word, be comforted by your word, be strengthened by your word. I ask you to watch over the sheriff's department, the police department, that you would protect them physically, protect them spiritually, protect their families, Lord. And I ask that you would lead us and guide us to a church that we can come alongside and support. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. I pray all these things. Amen. Amen.